When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Argyle Chat, the weekly Argyle podcast brought to you by Plymouth Live Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Argyle Chat. I am Stuart James and joining me to look back on the Easter fixtures are Chris Errington and Jack Ball. Hi chaps. Good afternoon. Welcome back Jack. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Feels very weird to be a guest. Do I have a guest now? We should have given him this special guest tag. Yeah, we, we should, yeah. Very we special guest. Well, I don't know about very special <laughs> guest. I was pushing it a bit too far, Jack. But yeah, Jack's no longer on the sports desk, of course. Moved over to... Uh, News and TV. News and TV, yeah. But it's quite good to come and just give my voice and not have to worry about anything. And be a fan again. Yeah. Well, that was a big thing you always used to say to us, wasn't it? You want to go back to being a fan again. and uh, Got my season ticket ready for next season. Hopefully yeah. it'll be in League One. But, well, um, it's, we'll talk um, about that in a bit. Absolutely. Well, let, let's look at the games over the Easter period then. Um, starting up at Gillingham. An early start for you, Chris, and a very late finish. Yes, yeah, it was a long day. Yeah. And, and for, uh, the, for the Green Army, uh, made the trip as well. And... Uh, yeah, a game of two halves, as they say. Yeah. It's a cliche in football, isn't it? A game of two halves. But it's probably a good reason why it's a cliche, because it, it happens. You know, Argyle were, were 1 0 up at half time, looked well in control. Gillingham's players were booed off the pitch by the, by the fans, having failed to win their previous three home games. Um, Gillingham then take off their 20 goal top scorer, Tom Eves, who hadn't done much in the first half, was being. And who scored a hat trick against our guy last season. He's got a good record against our guy, I know, um, took him off, and you think, wow, this is going quite well. And <laughs> 15 minutes later, Jutlingham are 2 1 up, and, um, you know, there was no coming back from Argyle. Uh, two key points in the game from an Argyle point of view at 1 0 early in the second half, Ryan Edwards had a great chance, blazed over the bar, and then at 2 1. Uh, Anthony Sarsovic put a shot wide from uh, from across from Ramirez, and that, that just sort of sums up Argyle's you know troubles recently. They just aren't clinical enough in front of goal. Obviously, they're letting in too many goals as well, but you know they're not giving themselves a chance by by taking good opportunities they get. And um, that the Gillingham game summed it up really. You know to be so dominant, uh, well not so dominant, but to be on top at half time and have the home team booed off. And then to come away an hour later with a three-one defeat was was you know difficult to take. Yeah, well, we put a, a request out for some uh, thoughts and, and mm-hmm. questions from our loyal listeners. Mm-hmm. David Earl sent a really good one in. What does why does the team capitulate after conceding? And that was very much the case on Saturday, wasn't it? One very quickly became three. Yeah. Uh, is it a lack of leadership? Do heads drop? He says it's very worrying. Yeah, good to have David's question. Um, why did the team capitulate after conceding? I mean, they're in a, a spell where confidence is low and you know confidence is such a, a big thing in football we saw it when Argo went on that good run in January and February time they they were just transformed uh, and a lot of that is down to confidence lack of leadership yeah I think is an issue you know they haven't had anyone that can really boss that back for the midfield and really uh, organize uh, you know I think Jan Songo does lots of good good things but he, he isn't really a, a leader a, a captain but at least he's got that fight and willingness to put his body on the line 
heads drop, you know, when things are going against you, when results are going against you, you can see heads drop and that's where you need leaders and experienced players to try and rally around them and maybe Argo haven't got enough of those as well. So I think I think you said in the past to me you think mm. they missed someone like Luke McCormick, who yeah. was always very vocal, wasn't he? Luke McCormick was very vocal. They've got Kyle Levering back in goal yeah. who, who who seems to be more vocal, but he's come back in for, for the last two games. We'll touch on the Barnsley game in a minute. But you know, he's come back into the side for Matt Macy who took a fair bit of criticism and I'm not saying it was Kyle Levering's fault, but six goals have been conceded in the two games he's played in. So I think it just proves that the goalkeeper, the centre backs, the full—it's not just any one component. It's you know, when you're on a mixture. run like this, it is normally a whole mass of things. Yeah. Well, David Earl's mm. clearly worried, Jack. Mm. Um, are you very worried as an Argyle fan? Yeah, I've, I've, I've got to be honest. I thought Argyle worse, less safe when they were up to twelve, and there were so you know we spoke about Chris, didn't we? When we were travelling mm. to and from different away games, and there were so many teams in between them that you thought Argyle only had to win one or two, and they would have mm. been fine. It's just not happened. I think. Legitimately, it's a fair concern to be worried at the moment. The form that Argyle are on, the fact they're conceding so many goals, they're not scoring very many chances. I've not seen the last couple of games, so I can't comment on, on them particularly. But, you know, the, the one saving grace that Argyle have two fixtures against teams that you would say are winnable games, although we've seen against Gillingham, you know, there's no games are easy. Um, but that is a, a good, optimistic sort of viewpoint to take, although, you know, it could be a very nervy last day if it comes to Argyle and Scunthorpe and yeah. the winner takes all, which is looking like it could be quite likely at the moment. Yeah, we're moving on to the game against Barnsley then. And in some ways, Chris, it's very similar to Gillingham. You know, three very quick goals and the game was gone. Yes, uh, I thought Argyle started quite well the first 10 minutes. Uh, they were, they, you know, were quite bright and purposeful. The crowd were getting behind them. There was good sort of feel inside home park. Then one long ball launched forward by Barnsley. Um, Corley Wardrow got in behind... Uh, the Argyle defence scored with an angled shot and then the points that David Earl mentioned in his previous question sort of, you know, became apparent. You know, uh, when you concede a goal, you've just got to make sure you don't concede yeah. another one. I know it's an obvious thing to say, but at one nil down after 15 minutes, that's not the end of the game. But three nil down after 28 minutes is, and that's the scenario that Argyle ended up in. And you just cannot get, you know, and we've seen it from Argyle a lot this season, haven't we, Jack? You know, more so perhaps earlier in the season when they lost, you know, threes and fives and things like that. They they do have this habit of conceding one and then two and three and it's It makes you sort of question what, what needs to happen behind the scenes. Like how can you get someone in to try and when the confidence though to build that up again because mm. it's not happening at the moment. And um, you know, it's not an easy answer, you know, if it mm. was an easy answer, teams wouldn't struggle like they do. Yeah. But if there was someone there that could try and somehow, you know, psychologically look at why confidence drops like that, because it is a real problem for the Argyle team. Well, is, is it maybe Derek Adams? Is he getting his tactics right? Or do you think the players have to take more responsibility? It's a bit of both, isn't it? Um, I mean, Derek Adams has tried different formations in recent games. We've had uh, 4-3-3, we've had 4-2-3-1, we've had diamonds in midfield. Uh, he's matched up with the opposition in the Gillingham and the Barnsley game. Argyle have played the same same system as the opposition and in the first half against Gillingham it worked really well and in the first half against Barnsley it didn't you know so uh, players also have to take responsibility as well I mean Derek Adams was very forthright in that opinion after the game against Gillingham you know uh, and he was talking about you know the players had to realise the responsibility and, and livelihoods on the line and things like that so again when things are going as, as badly as they are for Argyle which you know six games without a win 16 goals conceded in those games, two points. It's never as simple as just one person or one component again. It, you know, it, 
the tactics aren't right because they're not winning games. The players uh, need to take more responsibility. But confidence only comes when things are going well. And if you keep getting knocked back and uh, and what have you, then it's difficult to be confident, isn't it? So, so. For me, the tactics are almost slightly relevant at this mm. point in the season because I yeah. think it goes back to recruitment. I think, mm. sadly, the recruitment was yeah. just not good enough. You've got yeah. the likes of... And, you know, fans have been for quite a while now, maybe the vocal minority online, at least, have been saying... Oh gosh, should be starting Ryan Taylor. Fred Ladderburg doesn't score away. Well, Ryan Taylor isn't the same player that he was a year ago. He's not played much football in the last year, and I don't know how he played this weekend. He, he, but mm. it's not—he's not—you know—people are expecting him to be the same player he was when he was scoring goals and playing a lot of football mm. eighteen months ago. But if you look at the team now, I think it's just you have to look back at the recruitment. There's too many players that are injury prone, mm. and I know it's—I know it's not easy. But the likes of Jamie Ness, great player when he's fit, but he's missing too many, too many games and. For me, I'd be questioning whether you give him a contract next year because you need someone that can be playing 30, 40 games a season. You need durable football. It was interesting yesterday that the, the, the front six were basically the front six from last season, Jack. You had Fox and Songo holding, you had Carey, Lemiris and, and Sarsavik and Taylor up front. And that front six did really well last season. And yet in the first half yesterday, the Argyle, you know, collectively were 3-0 down after 28 minutes. Mm. So it's... Yeah. With Ryan Taylor, I mean, I've no, noticed a pattern in his career as well. It's been the same at Portsmouth and, and Oxford, where he was before, of course, mm. where he, he does really well, gets out of League Two, into League One, and that's when his, his sort of time at the club starts to mm. wane and he ends up getting released and moving on and it almost becomes a circle again. He goes back into League Two, wins promotion, and yeah. the same thing happens. And the injuries don't help. I mean, he's been no. missed a lot of football, and I think... Chris said about confidence. If you've not played a lot of football, yeah, and he's injured both knees, is it or both ankles? Ankles, both yeah. ankles. You know that, that's not easy, and he's no. he's not the youngest of players either. And I remember at one point after his latest ankle injury, I said to you, Chris, I I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't come back from this because mm. he's had injury after injury after injury. He keeps coming back, but you know he's not playing enough football, and mm. you're not going to do that. And it, it's a steady snowball. And one of, one of the things I always say, Stu, about players that that are injured in summer and pre season and miss a lot almost the pre season is you are playing catch-up yeah. for the rest of the season, and that is difficult. And then the problem he's had as well on top of that is that because Freddie Ladapo came into the team and did well and scored goals and Derek Adams only plays the one central striker, there was no real way of Ryan uh, Taylor getting into the team and getting a, a regular run of games. Coming off the bench for 10, 15 minutes here and there you know, doesn't really do anyone any favours in, as far as in the long term of getting yourself up to speed and being able to start. He came into the team yesterday, he was up against two good centre-backs and he found it hard going. And, and Jack's right, you know, mm. people have wanted to see Ryan Taylor. I understand why, because Ryan Taylor, over the course of his career at Argyle, has been a good player for Argyle. But it is very difficult when you've played as, as little games as he has to, to suddenly come in and make this immediate impact. Yeah, it's, he's it's trying not, to find that momentum, don't it's you? Not, it's, it's not easy. And also, not only that, but when he's playing reserve games, you know, the quality of opposition Argyle are playing in reserve team football is so poor. It's a bit hit and miss. I mean, exactly. it's been some good games and bad games. Um, and the thing with Ryan Taylor, you've got, you know, got to be careful with him because he, he has had a lot of ankle trouble in the last mm. you know, year or two. And you can play him in these reserve games, but what happens if he twists an ankle in a reserve game? And, you know, yeah. you know, so sometimes you have to be careful with players. You know, that you want to give them games, but equally you don't want to give them too many games and run the risk of them get, getting yeah, themselves sure. injured. It's, I know I keep going back to recruitment again, but yeah. in, in, when we spoke to Derek and the players in the media day at the start of the season, you know, Derek was, you know, we've got competition in every place now. I've deliberately signed these amount of players for the start of pre-season, but you look at the bench now, and I know there are some players that are injured, but for me, the competition is not as good as it has been. Yeah. I, just, I just think that the recruitment has been particularly poor. 
Well, it's very difficult, isn't it, when you've got a budget as small as Argyle have in, in League One, to have enough quality players to have competition in each area, you know, it's when you have to then compete with the Sunderlands and Portsmouths and Barnes. I think in the last two years we've seen last season they had two smaller squad and they perhaps trying to sort of focus their money on a smaller squad and then this season they've gone with a bigger squad and maybe they haven't had as much money to devote to get, you know, better players maybe. And uh, they're sort of, You've had two different approaches for two seasons and, and neither's really worked out, has it? I mean, he's still got last season they did finish seventh. Yeah. It's, we, we keep, I think we keep forgetting that. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And, that's yeah, okay, true. they might have had two bad parts of the season, but overall mm. they still finished seventh in their first well, season in League One. That's a lot better than currently, isn't it? So yeah, so you're, I, so you're I would right almost argue that what yeah. happened last year seems to be better. If you can sign better players mm. that aren't injury prone, yeah. then I think that is the best out of the two. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Ladapo went into the physio's office and ruled him out ruled himself out of contention I should say according to Derek Adams who uh, I think he gave that quote to you in his post-match press conference didn't he Chris? Yeah we saw Derek Adams after the game Yeah Yeah. What, what do you guys make of this because we've since seen today Freddie Ladapo um, kind of suggesting that that wasn't the case Yes looking at a couple of tweets that Freddie Ladapo put out um, the first one seemed to indicate that he didn't think he'd ruled himself out and the second one said that he was hoping to be fit for the last two games and would be giving his all for the club, the players, the fans and the Green Army sort of thing. So, interesting comments, uh, less than 24 hours after a, a painful defeat. Uh, and, you know, sometimes things are... It's not quite the heat of the moment, is it? But, you know, sometimes things are said in the in the fallout of, of, a, of a game like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that story unfolds because it is an unusual thing for a player to come out and... And say, I mean, it's a bit of a cryptic tweet, but you know, you look at players, professional football players, and it's amazing how often incidents blow up mm. in this day and age, isn't it, Jack? Out of social media posts. And we know Derek Adams doesn't like mm. injuries at the full stop. He gets annoyed with players that yeah. don't come back quickly, and yeah. and you can argue whether that's right or wrong, all you want. Clearly, something's gone on behind the scenes, and I I possibly feel maybe something's happened that Derek Adams doesn't feel like he should tell the press about. And there's been a sort of divide between those two. That's what the whole mm. thing says to me. Because if he was injured, Fred Adler is not going to come out and make it and say no, anything else. Exactly. If he's not injured and something's gone on, Derek Adams is probably professional enough to not come out and, and throw a player under the bus. So I think something's gone on there. That's speculation, but that's what it says to me. But you're right, you know, a player only has to type in a few words. And it, you know, it's free, literally free words and free emojis, I think, yeah. Fred Adler tweeted. And, you know, fans jump on that, especially fans that are anti Derek Adams at the moment. and. But it doesn't look good, you know, for me, mm. from the outside, you know, we're not on the in-circle, it looks like so many things are starting to fall apart at the worst possible time, and that, for me, is the biggest cause of concern. It's a, it's a, it's a story that you don't need, mm. you know, a week in the week when you're going to play Atkinson standing away in a game which is going to be really important, and if you're going to win it, you're going to have to beat a very disciplined, determined, well-organised Atkinson side. So if, if you're not going up there and you're not all pulling in the same direction and all pulling together as a team collectively then you are going to have difficulties in and that I game. imagine John Coleman's very well liked at Accrington his mm. team probably are all pulling together now if I'm him mm. I'm looking at this and saying look there's something mm. going on between their manager their top striker their fans are angry mm. that's quite a good you know mm. tool yeah. to give your team going into that game and I think it's it really is playing into Accrington's hands mm. sadly well, well just a word on Derek Adams um, as I say we put a, a request out for people to give us their thoughts uh, Jessica Wigginton replied with I personally would like Adams in charge next year but I do fear that he has lost the faith of too much of the fan base particularly if Argyle get relegated 
contradicting message from Dave Searle. Adams should have gone earlier in the season. Poor recruiting last season. I dread to think what sort of squad we'll be left with in the summer. The Mirrors and Kerry, Kerry will probably depart, leaving many of the injury-prone players signed in the summer. Played 44-112, Adams out. He really divides the fan base, doesn't he, Derek Adams? Well, I mean, first, I'd be interested because I wasn't there yesterday. What was the reaction in the in sort of stands? Because, you know, it's it's easy to take certain things from Twitter and social media. Yeah. But I, I was just interested to know, firstly, what, what the atmosphere was like. Yeah, there was there's quite a lot of boos at full time, which you would expect. You know, they got beat 3 0. It was the second half was a non event, and, you know, Barnsley pretty much cruised through, sort of thing. So there was there were boos, I think. Well, boos especially after taken off. Lemires as well, you know, which is the question that you put to him post-match, of course. Yeah, um, the Lemires one was, you know, he's never going to... When Ruben Lemires gets substituted, that doesn't go down well with the Argyle fans because he's probably their favourite player at the moment. And 3-0 down and, and the a lot of fans would say, well, why are we taking off our best player when we're 3-0 down? Um, I, I asked the question of Adams and uh, he didn't want to divulge it. He indicated afterwards that it, it could have been thinking ahead to the to the Accrington game on Saturday. And there is an argument to say, look, if you're 3-0 down, the game's done and dusted, you're not coming back. Barnsley have stopped Ruben Amiris playing him, uh, playing. They limited his influence. They um, were quite aggressive with him. They, you know, why leave Ruben Amiris out on that pitch, get himself injured or anything happen to him when you've got two mega important games coming up um, well, could, that, could, that have been, could that have been the reason um, that seems to me a, a sort of logical explanation did Ruben Lemiris have a good game yesterday no he didn't but none of the attacking players did if you ask me so you, you could have taken any of the attacking players off but uh, at the moment Ruben Lemiris is, uh, is, is the fans favourite and understandably so because of what he's done in the second half of the season uh, and so the they, they weren't happy about that. Um, but sometimes there are reasons for substitutions and you, you have to look at the, the bigger picture and maybe it is it was why risk Ramirez when he's got a really important game to play on Saturday. Um, I mean, the, prob- the problem for me is um, if anyone's listened to our podcast on a regular basis, I don't think any of us have ever been Adam should be sacked in that sort of camp. Mm. I think I've always said if they ever get a bit adrift at the bottom, then you need to look at his position. Um, obviously, you're not going to sack him with two games left. Um, the f- problem I have with Derek Adams at the moment is I don't think he is doing right by the fans. I think he's not answering questions properly. I think what Chris asked him about why he took off Ruben Limerick was a, fair, a good question. Absolutely. I think fans deserve to know the answer. Why not come out and say... Well, it's because we've got two important games, the game was lost. That's an easy answer. I don't think any fans could quibble with that. I think when you've got two games left and you're fighting a really tough battle to stay in League Two, you need a man sorry, to stay in League One, you need a manager to come out and try and galvanise everyone, pull everyone together. Ian Holloway used to do that a lot. I remember in the season before he left, um, and after the final game of the season, he came out on a microphone and was giving you all the yap you wanted and we're going to go for this again, come back. And I think you, you need that style in this scenario. And I think, sadly, Adams is not giving fans answers they want. He's not warming himself and I think he's alienating himself a bit and I don't think that's a good position to be in with two games left. And I think the fans deserve better, quite frankly. I understand where you're coming from, but I, th- I think we have to take into account as well is that Adams and Holloway are two completely different characters. Yeah, so yeah. You know, Derek's not the sort of man to go on a microphone and try I'm not saying you need to go on a microphone, yeah. but I'm saying... For me to earn your money, imagine in this scenario, you need to try and bring people together. Yeah, that is part true. of your job. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying come out and start, you know, giving inspirational speeches. I, I totally get that. That's not his character. But 
you need someone that can pull the fans, get the fans on side. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure in the last game of the season, even if Argyle are in trouble and need a win, I'm sure the fans will still be there in numbers. I'm sure they'll still be on their side. But that is where you earn your money as a manager. That is part of your job and he's not doing it well enough in my I, I, I do think this is where the Accrington game is interested on, on Saturday because Accrington are a club that really shouldn't be where they are. But they've all pulled together mm. over a period of time and had difficult moments but got themselves to where they are. And I, I think Argyle have got to sort of grasp the fact that you know you, you're at the stage now where you've got two games left what's gone in in the past you can't do anything about so you've got to rally round you, you need like I, I agree with Jack you've got the, the manager's got to lead set the tone right there's no point recriminations now we just need to focus on these next two games and then we can deal with the rest of it after the season ends so you, you need um, to all pull together and, and the manager in that role has to be the, the main one that's doing it. It's not solely down to him, but you know, uh, he needs to uh, to provide leadership at this difficult time. Indeed. So on to Accrington then. Um, Chris, you made a really interesting point about uh, Lemirez and perhaps keeping him back for that. Mm. I mean, the interesting thing from that point of view for me is the state of the Accrington pitch yes. and whether a player like Ruben Lemirez will be able to perform at his best on that pitch because it really is... Well, was, uh, well, the worst in the league is putting it mildly. I remember saying to you watching the Luton game, it looked like they were molehill, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. They looked like right molehill on the halfway line. line. It's... Indeed. I can only assume that was to do with drainage. And yeah, if you, if you didn't see it, Accrington played Luton on the TV on... What day was that? Saturday? Sunday. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Easter weekend. Easter weekend tonight now, isn't <laughs> it? You can see we haven't prepared this podcast, can't you? <laughs> At some point in the last few days. Accrington played Luton on Sky TV and we all saw the game, some of it or all of it and what have you. And the pitch at Accrington has, has, has never been the best, let's be honest. Um, and it looked awful against Luton and was big line running through the middle of the pitch. And that does raise the serious point of... Carey, Lemires, Fox, all players that like to get the ball down, pass the ball, ideally suited to a good surface, and they're not going to get that at Accrington. And you might be one of these games where if Argyle are going to get a win, they're going to need people to roll their sleeves up and maybe go direct at times, maybe sort of, you know, uh, fight fire with fire. And is the likes of Ruben Lemires going to be suited to that pitch? We we, did, we were talking on this subject earlier on, and I'll, I'll let Jack make the point though, but... Argyle and bad pitches this season, Jack. What was the point that you, you mentioned? Yeah, I think one of the last ones I went to was Bradford away and that pitch was, was not good. And I remember Argyle just didn't play any decent football. They struggled to get used to the, the surroundings. Um, and then after, I spoke to Derek Adams after the game and said, well, you knew this was going to be the case. You said your flair place wouldn't work. Did you not try and think about not playing it from the start and playing a different team to suit that pitch? And he said, fairly enough, I think. If I'd done that, people would have criticised me for yeah. dropping my, my best players. And I think he's going into that same scenario yeah. this weekend. Do you, you know, let's look at, let's think about it. If the team sheet comes out and you've got, not got Carey in the yes. team, you've not got yeah. the team, because, okay, fairly enough, they can't play on a, a pitch like that particularly well. And you've got, I don't know, the likes of Songo and maybe Anderson instead. Yeah. What's that going to say to the fans? Mm. It's not going to work. Yet yeah, if he plays them, they don't perform, they don't play well, mm. people come out and say, well, you knew they wouldn't play well because you can't play yeah. on the pitch, they're, they're flair players. So this is a really, really tough So battle. you have to stick to your principles. But at stick. the point you made, yeah, I've got, got a bad record on bad pitches. Yeah. So stick to, that's true, and you're right, but you've got to stick to principle, pick the, the best players you've got to win that game. And because he's like the most set pieces, I think. Yeah, because like you say, he is in the damned if you do, damned if you, if you don't situation when it comes to the team section because if Lemirez isn't in the team and they lose 
there's going to be a lot of flak flying around because yeah. of that. And we could have done with the Accrington keeper making giving us two penalties <laughs> <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose he'll be back for that game. Yeah, he yeah, have been suspended on Monday. Yeah. It's going to be a tough one. And Accrington are going to be up for it because they know they're punching above their weight. They mm. know they shouldn't really be in this league in terms of finances mm. and crowds. And they know if they beat Argyle, they're safe. It's a mm. big incentive for them. Mm. Well, I think when, yeah, when Accrington, I think they've got three games left, haven't they? And when mm. you look at their fixtures, this is without doubt their most winnable games so um... and I think a lot of people probably a lot of Argo fans have a soft spot for Atkinson I think there's something about a team that's punching both its weight but don't get me wrong no one, no one in the Green Army going to want them to do anything on Saturday okay so welcome back to the second part of the podcast um, interesting stuff so far I'm going to put you guys on the spot now who's going down oh dear oh dear Come on, Bradford. We'll Bradford. start with you, Mr. Mr. I don't make pr- predictions. Uh, Bradford. <laughs> Bradford, well, that, that, was a, that was obviously it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go for Walsall. Yeah. <laughs> they were almost down. I really don't. I, I, I don't. As long as it's not Argyle, I don't, I'm not really too fussed. It's not looking good for Walsall, is it? But um, I think Wimbledon will stay up. I think Indeed. Argyle and Scunthorpe and even Southend, I know they won at the weekend, but mm-hmm. are all on quite bad form. And Wimbledon have done remarkably since mm-hmm. Boxing Day when Argyle, they beat Argyle 2-1, but then they dropped to the bottom of the table again. And I think everyone thought they were dead and buried. So they've done fantastically. I am worried about Argyle, I can't lie. I think, I think it will come down to Argyle and Scunthorpe. It's looking like Argyle Scunthorpe will made the fourth, isn't it? Neither team can keep it. It might not sheet. be, but, but it, it could well be. I mean, you thought Argyle were bad losing 3 0 and Scunthorpe lost 4 0, so yeah. both of them are going to be I think they've had one win in 15, Scunthorpe. We were looking at it earlier on, weren't we, Chris? And and for me, I think the important thing is if Argyle stay above Scunthorpe going into that game where a draw will be enough, yes. I think that'll be important. I think if, if Scunthorpe leapfrog Argyle and Argyle need to win, yeah. Scunthorpe could come to Home Park, shut up shop, yeah. and that's a very dangerous position to be in. We know Argyle struggled to cope in those scenarios. But this is what I was saying to Chris Jack. This is the interesting thing about the whole relegation battle is that you could then have Wimbledon yeah. who win their game and they could send both Argyle and Scunthorpe down. Yeah, it's... Could be, a, could be a great day at home park that night. <laughs> <laughs> Two teams I mean, relegated on the same day. But I have to say, though, I mean, from, from a neutral, it's, it's a fascinating thing yeah. to watch. But it's not just the League One relegation scrap. It's the whole EFL, mm. you know. There's still so many unresolved issues. Mm. I don't think I've ever known a season where we're that late in the season and there's still so, so few things I just, to I just, I just love English football. I mean, you know, you look at some of the crowds you get in the third tier in League One, you know, with Sun- I know you've got Sunderland there, but even uh, Bradford and they're going to be in League Two next year and some mm. of the crowds you get, you compare it to the third tier of other countries, you're not in the top tier of some well, countries. Well, Torquay yesterday, 5,300, well, a new record in the National that, South. That, I mean, that's, exactly. that's ridiculous. So it's exciting for the neutrals, it's not exciting for Argyle fans particularly at the moment. But you know what, if Argyle do manage to step on the last day of the season, what a relief and what a feeling they'll be around. It would almost be like reaching the playoffs. It is. If Argyle stay yeah. up. Yeah, but absolutely. I'd rather they were safe going into that game, I've got to be honest. I think we all would, wouldn't we? Definitely. Yeah. Well, certainly not going to be a mm. dead, dead rubber, I don't think. So, uh, one bit of news today, Chris. Um, and you're head of recruitment at Argyle. What do, we, what do we know about him? Yeah, obviously Argyle have been looking for a replacement for Greg Strong, who was the chief scout who left in November to go to Salford City, the National League club. Um, this is a slightly different role because um, it's, I think it's more, more encompassing of the whole of recruitment for players, not only to, with regards to the first team, but with younger players as well. It's a guy called Ian Roscrow, who um, was at the Gillingham Argyle game at Priestfield Stadium. Um, I remember seeing him, but I didn't realise who he was at the time. <laughs> um, but I remember seeing him in the director's box. So uh, he's he seen Argyle play at least once. Um, he spent best part of 10 years in a recruitment role at Swansea City uh, prior to that. Uh, he's 55 and before his 10 years or near 10 years at Swansea, 
he worked in sort of scouting recruitment roles for Wigan Athletic and Middlesbrough and he was at Middlesbrough at the time that Gareth Southgate was uh, Middlesbrough boss so um, as, as far as sort of a player recruitment track record, you know, that's that's quite impressive, I would say. Well, Middlesbrough, connections then? Middlesbrough, Wigan, and, well, and when Swansea. When was he at Swansea then? Did, Swansea did he from them very recently? Uh, last or? summer, so 2009 to 2018, and when Graham Potter took over as Swansea manager, um, I think they had a, a big sort of reorganisation of their scouting recruitment set up, and uh, I think it was four members of staff sort of moved on as Graham Potter took on the, took on the role. So he looks very much like someone that's, He's done some coaching, I think, um, in New Zealand. He, he had a spell as a player in New Zealand. Um, but he certainly looks like somebody who's sort of not not been involved in coaching too much, but has been involved in recruitment and scouting, which is which is the aim of this this new role. So like I say, it's, it's not just about finding players for the first team. Obviously, that is the important part of it. But I think it's also looking at you know younger players, development squad players, everything. So he, he's going to have... Um, a lot of responsibility in in that regards and as Jack has mentioned on the podcast today you know I think you have to look at last summer's recruitment as being poor um, with a few exceptions um, and whatever division Argyle are in next season they're going to need to recruit well in the summer aren't they so do you take much reading from this Chris of the timing like because you sort of imagine that to me, it says that even if I go down, Derek Adams might stay because why would you get someone in that a new manager might possibly come in yeah. and not want to work with? So to me, that's given me a sort of indication, maybe I'm reading too much into mm-hmm. it, that no matter what, Adams will be staying. Yeah, I mean, I haven't got the crystal ball, Jack, but if Argyle were relegated and we hope that they don't, I'm not sure that they change the manager in the summer. Uh, I think you would, uh, you would uh, have a serious look at what's gone on this season and then um, you would have... Um, have a go next season they they had to appoint a, a head of recruitment at some stage mm-hmm. they couldn't go into the summer break without a head of recruitment um, I think the job applica- application was up until the end of March so it's taken them about a month month from when the entries for uh, applications ended mm-hmm. to an appointment which you know is about right standard, isn't it yeah. is about standard so I suspect that you know it's the process they've gone through but yes you know it wouldn't make a lot of sense to appoint somebody to quite an important role, head of recruitment for basically the whole of the football club. Yeah. And then appoint a new manager in June. You know, and then you, then you'd have to say to the new manager, well, look, you're, you're pretty much going to work with this guy. So, yeah, possibly. But Who knows, though? Let's, I mean, let's see how their season unfolds and, and what happens in the aftermath. But uh, Important to get a field, though. Definitely. Well, he needs. You know, whatever division they're in, Ian Rosgrove now has got a lot of work now to to start finding players because I don't think we're going to have quite the same clear out that we've had in recent years because it looks as though there's a few players that are under contracts for next season, perhaps more than in the last couple of summers. But there's clearly going to be several departures and so several arrivals. Mm. I, I find the whole coaching or the, the structure at Argyle interesting because mm. obviously we've got Derek Adams in this role of first team manager and head of football as well and mm. quite often you see at clubs you know that head of football will mm. be a, a director of football or yeah. something like that so it does seem that like Derek Adams is filling two really important roles at a football club. Yeah. Is there perhaps an argument that he's taken on a little bit too much and, and it, there needs to be another appointment to come in and work alongside him in a director of football type role. Uh, that's the way it looks at the moment, isn't it? Uh, I, I can see why, in some senses, it, 
it's good for a first team manager to almost have the head of football role because there are lots of examples in the past where a manager has perhaps been undermined by football decisions that have been taken by other people. Uh, and that's never a good thing for the manager to be undermined by somebody else. And that's often been a reason why people in English football have, have been against the idea of a director of football because it's seen as you run that risk of there being a division between the manager and the head and football. And so if the manager is also the head of football, you're not going to have that division. The, the flip side to that argument is the one that you've just made, Stu, and I think it's a fair point as well, is that if somebody has too much control and, and there aren't checks and balances, then, you know, how are they held accountable? You know, ultimately, a manager is held accountable because of results, and if the results aren't good enough, he, he loses his job. That's, that's the case at any football club. So um, I can see both sides, both sides of the argument, but... Uh, yeah, there is there is definitely a case to have a, a separate head of football. I but think for me, it's dangerous to have any industry for anyone to have too much power at any one place. And I think Argyle, we talked about earlier in the season, we're probably in a position where could you afford to get rid of Derek Adams if you want to because of the power he has in every aspect. Mm. And for me as well, it's also important to have the right team around you. And I think you sometimes need that voice that's not your own ideas mm. to bounce things off. I don't, you know, if Derek Adams just say Derek Adams is doing something wrong, to have that director of football just to give a different opinion... I think that can be good as well. I, I'm not so sure that... I think you need to have a staff around you that you can trust. and you can, I'd rather have a manager that focuses solely, almost, on the first-team results. And I think, yeah, you can do too much and burn yourself out in any industry. And I do possibly think that maybe Derek Adams lives football, which we know he sort of really does. And, and, and this that is, is dangerous. This is, and this is what he does. He lives, he lives football 24-7. And, again, in some ways that's good for a head of football because he, he's... He's prepared to spend that time, um, but you know, at the end of a long season, it, it's it's a tiring old thing. He's got an yeah. awful lot of jobs and responsibilities away from the first team, and I'm sure they're not taking masses and masses of his time. But you know, you're looking at decisions about apprentices. You're looking about which young pros are going to get contracts. You're looking at the new dressing room. Well, that's why it comes back to me. Kit. It comes yeah. back to, you, yeah. you need to have the right staff around you that you can trust to sort of guide mm. you on those things. I think if one person's mm. trying, yeah, being able to delegate. And again, mm. that's not just in football, that's in any industry, whether it's mm. even here in this office. You need to have people that have certain roles and trust their views on things, not try and be a sort of person that controls everything all the time. I think that's not always the best option. I don't know in this case, you know, yeah. respectfully, but that's just my view. Yeah, but you made an interesting point earlier when we were speaking off, of, you know, not doing the podcast about Adams at Ross County and how similar. Well, yeah, like I said, it's almost case of deja vu. He had a lot of power at Ross County, and I, I think it can go one or two ways. It can either work, and when things are going well, you know, you, you, it does, it does, mm. it, things aren't going well. But when things are going badly, you're literally taking the brunt of everything because if you're head of football and you're the football first team football manager, there's nowhere to really hide. You are literally the man in charge of everything, and you could almost take Plymouth Argyle out of a story that was written by Ross County a few years ago and drop drop it in, and it would be the same sort of story. And, for me, that's that's quite worrying, especially with the ladder post stuff. There's just too so many things at the moment that it's just chipping away, and I th- I think it's it's quite a concern. Yeah, just going back to Derek Adams, there was a tweet that I saw recently. I think it was put out by Argyle's Academy or something like that, where he was coaching the under eights. I think it was, hmm. and I thought fantastic. That's brilliant for him to do that. But at the same time, it kind of emphasizes his you know how absorbed he is with the he, football club and having sees, yeah his influence everywhere. He he sees it. I wouldn't say as his football club, but he takes responsibility of his job very seriously and he considers it important that he is not just involved with the first team, but with all the, all aspects. I mean, 
Um, I think there was when he first took over, there was a fans meeting at Biddeford uh, pre-season game, and he he made a quote saying that you know uh, your club is is my club now, and I want to sort of embrace it, and and he does lots of coaching lessons with under eights and girls teams and the community teams and and that's fantastic and that is, that's, that's brilliant there's not many managers that would do that but ultimately you are judged on the first team and you know when things are going like jack says when things are going well people aren't going to pick up on it uh but when things aren't going well people are going to say well hang on a minute you know have you got too much power are you not focusing enough on on your primary job and and that's all fair comment and when yeah, it comes to a time where Jack Adams leaves, whether that's by sacking or mm. miraculously turning around, has a great season next year and mm. is picked up by another club, I think it's dangerous to leave such a big void where from the first team down to the under eights, they're struggling. And I, I just think it's such, and I know there's loads of different staff members at yes, these different yeah. levels, but mm. there's no doubting that he's a big part of every single aspect of that club. And for mm. me, mm. that makes it a very dangerous position when the time comes that he leaves. Yeah, well, one final thing then. Uh, we had a really interesting comment from Michael Kimber. <clears throat> regardless of the division Argyle are in next season I'd be keen to know if the club has identified the causes of their horrendous starts and poor ends to the season and what they're going to do to address those significant challenges I don't think we can quite put that to Argyle just yet ourselves but um, what well, do you guys for, for me think? I think they need a better pre-season we've spoken about this before you've spoken to Derek about this Chris I think it's all well and good playing your local teams and sure have a few games against them but you need decent opposition now, I know that last season they didn't have the grandstand ready and that's one of the reasons why they didn't do it. But I, for me, I didn't, can't see that Cardiff came down why you can play them on a parkway pitch and get all three involved just because it would have been beneficial for Argyle. I think you need a better pre-season schedule. I'm not sure that going to Holland and playing B-teams is, is a great idea. I don't know why Argyle are still doing it. For me, it doesn't seem to work the last few years, but Derek Adams is a man that likes what he knows and carries on doing that. And for me, the end of the season is because Argyle are in a position where the budget's not the biggest and they end up signing a load of injury-prone players that... They can't last, and you know. I, again, I've not seen the last couple of games, but last season they were running on empty in the last few weeks. Luckily for Argyle, almost they were going for a totally different battle, but now they're fighting the drop. And if they're running empty again, it comes down to one players being injury prone and missing games, and two, if they are missing games, the ones that are having to play a lot more minutes are struggling as well. So that's for me what is why it's bookended. I I agree with Jack on the poor end of the season. You know the the, the players both seasons have picked up injuries. You know you look at the moment you've got Connor Grant, Joel Grant, um, Joe Riley, Freddie Ladapo missed the You know, um, someone else. Ness Oscar has Frelko's, been out for a while. You know, you? Ness comes in and out. Oscar Frauco missed the game. Now some of these you can't do about. Oscar Frauco running around with a cast on his hand yesterday. These things happen, but um, the squad strength has been shown to be lacking at the end of both seasons, hasn't it? And, and as, as far as, you know, horrendous starts, um, I, I think Argyle have identified it, identified or are taking steps to improve their starts to the season in terms of the pre-season schedule. They're looking to play two games at home park on the 20th and the 27th of July against Championship Standard or Foreign Opposition. So those are two games that, that should be good. In between that, they're going to Holland and they're going to play one game while out there. I think one game is all they need to do when they've got two presumably good games either side. I see the merits of um, going on a tour. Um, I was fortunate in years past to go with the, with the Herald and see Argyle's tours, and they are good team bonding exercises, and I think team bonding is important. So mm. I think going to Holland and playing three games, say, against indifferent opposition, you know, doesn't serve a purpose. But if you're playing two games on back-to-back Saturdays at home park against good teams, then have a week away in Holland where you focus on training and you have one game, I think is good. 
they, it looks as though, although it's not been officially confirmed, that Argyle are going to play um, Truro, Tavistock, Parkway, and one another. Torquay. 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 So those are the sort of... Uh, Tavistock they're always going to play because they have a lot of connections with Tavistock because of the academy train and play and, and things like that. But, you know, Parkway... Truro and Torquay are good games that you should be playing in. I think it's good to build it up, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. If, you, if you say if you take Truro, Torquay, Parkway, two games at Home Park and a game in Holland, and then maybe one or two others, that that I think will be better. So I would like to think that by doing that, that Argyle might make a better start next season. Although again, it, it, you know, if you're signing ten new players uh, in the summer and then you're throwing a lot of them into the team at the start of the season with the best will in the world, or it's going to take a while for them to settle down. So The problem um, is, last time, I don't think I got really knew, weren't really tested enough until the Oval game. And yeah. look at how that ended. Yeah. I can't remember the score now. Was it five, 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 one. Five, one. And, and, you know, yeah. that's the last thing you need a week or two weeks before the season starts. Yeah. You need to be tested a bit before that, in my view, because that yeah. gives you then the time yeah. before the first game. There's no point in being tested for the first time a week or two before the start of the season. If they're playing championships standard, yeah. type opposition on the 20th and the 27th of July then that should toughen them up a bit before they play on the 3rd of August. I don't get. I don't understand why teams don't try and play a game against someone in their league to sort of know, you know, because if you play a championship it's, team, if you get beaten 5-0, mm. okay, are you, okay, you might improve fitness, but I almost think to, to really gauge where you're going to be, you're not going to know until the first week yeah. of the season unless you play it's a just, full strength league. It's a really team. good point you make, Jake, because I think in all the years I've covered Argyle, I can't think of them ever, ever playing a pre-season game against a team in the same opposition. Mm-hmm. I think a football manager would sit here and say, well... You know, we don't, you know, I think, well, whether they would say it, but they probably wouldn't want to be beaten by a team in their division in pre-season because it might be an indicator that things aren't going to be great when the season starts. But from a, how do you judge it? If you play a really good championship team and you get beaten 4-0, what do you learn from that? Um, I remember I got playing Swansea a few yeah. years ago and, and Swansea was just a completely different level. And you really felt, people say games against Southwest Peninsula teams are a waste of time, but Playing against Swansea was almost a waste of the time because they were so much better. It wasn't chasing the ball, it just wasn't just fitness, isn't it? It You're running around a lot. Yeah, (laughs) so it's finding the right level of opposition. So yeah, I think you you know you you could make a case why not play teams in your own division, but it just doesn't seem to happen. It's well, it doesn't happen anywhere, does it? It doesn't happen anywhere. But yeah. for me, that seems like a logical route to really gauge. Mm. And I get what you're saying. If you do lose, but you know, I got lost to a team a league, a division below them. So you know, it happens anyway. Yeah. I just think it would be beneficial. It'd be interesting to get a manager's take on that. Mm. I don't know why it doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff. Well, predictions for the weekend then. <laughs> I'll be happy, I've got to be honest. I'll be happy with a draw because I got so poor on away pitches. But they're running out of time. They've got two games left. They need a win, really. Do you think one win would be enough to stay up? No. I think because Scunthorpe are playing Bradford and I think if they win that and then Wimbledon win as well you're, you're in the same position I don't like predictions Stuart, I know, but I'll tell you what Argyle are going to have to be playing as a team well up for a fight on a difficult pitch and if they don't match Accrington's work rate and determination then, then they won't win mm. I think it might take four points I wouldn't be surprised really yeah. as much as that I wouldn't be surprised 50, that'd be 51 wouldn't it yeah mm. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked well, it's going to be an interesting Makes the season, next that's for sure. interesting, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, gents, yeah. thanks a lot for your time. That's all we've got time for this week. And thank you to those out there that took the time out to message us as well. It's always appreciated. We'll be back again with more of the same next week. We are always happy to hear from you. And if you have any questions for our panel, please tweet them to our Twitter account, at HeraldPAFC, or visit our Facebook page, Plymouth Argyle The Herald. Thanks for listening.